Sunday, December 30th, 2018. It's Postmark 30, and I'm Scott Southern. And I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Scott, my friend, if we're thinking about this in terms of WrestleManias, who are you? Are you Daniel Bryan? Am I Randy Orton? Because I hear voices in my head. What did you, yeah. I, they talk to me. They counsel me. Or are you the uh, the shocked fan from when The Undertaker lost? Yeah, I like that guy so much. There are multiple uh, great fan reactions. Uh, of course, we you know we got the the guy with the glasses mm-hmm. uh, and the 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 just the shock and awe. He's the one that gets remembered the most. His face is so good. But then there's the there's, there's that like chubby guy that kind of like brings his hands down across his face. Mm-hmm. And then there's another guy uh, who who looks very normal. It's and and he's just got a hat on and he's just got his head head his hands on his head and he's just like ah uh, what? How did this happen, man? Are you Brock Lesnar? Great. I wish I was. No, I think I like to think uh, I might be the Cesaro of WrestleMania 30, winning the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Yeah, and then everyone was like, "All right, they're finally going to push Scott." And that's everyone's thinking right now. Here you are now, but you're hanging out with with me because I'm Sheamus. Yeah, you're a big. What did Sheamus do in this WrestleMania? I don't think I think that that was before we liked Sheamus. Actually, I don't know if Sheamus was at that WrestleMania. I think he came back right after, and then the crowd chanted, "You look stupid." Yeah, because he had, he had his mohawk the, and that braided beard for a minute. Yeah, that was insane. It's weird how he has never been able to uh, just look like a normal person or like a normal in like relative wrestling terms, but uh, yeah. 30 lordy lordy look who's 30 postmarked him we could have been 33 or something yeah we probably would be a couple a couple ahead at this point but hey it's new year's eve eve did you have a nice christmas i had a fine christmas what was your favorite present uh i don't know i got a lot of toys i got a lot of nerdy things which I'm pretty excited about. That's cool. I also got re- Actually, I got a really great book that is called Understanding Comics. It's a comic book about how comic books function, like oh. a kind of like an academic breakdown of comic functionality, which is like really it's a really interesting book and it does a really great job of like talking through things like uh what happens between the panels and how your how it comic books require like a complicit agreement from the reader to kind of do some of the narrative work between each panel that happens. But also like follow the, like you have to be in sync with the author in a certain sense. Not that there's any like big narrative jumps that happen in between panels, but you gotta, gotta trust that like a leads to B leads to C. Totally. And uh, yeah, one of the, like the simplest example that they use is like how in a, in film, you watch an eye blinking and you see every movement of an eyelid falling from an open eye to a closed eye. Uh-huh. You see that action happen. In a comic book, it's just an open eye and the next panel you see a closed eye. And you and your brain have to agree that that you, the reader, have to agree with the writer that that eye has performed that action 
in between that the space of those two panels existing. So we're getting into like, I mean, this sounds like like Derrida. This sounds like post-structural uh, analysis. And totally. that's, that's all I want in my life is like is an academic application to the things that I don't have to uh, strive to understand. Right. It's like, I want, I want all of this analysis onto the things that I really just enjoy, not the things that I have to educate myself to enjoy, to work towards enjoying and that require more than just a quick, easy sit down and enjoyment. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's really it, right? Like stuff like comic books that are really easy to sit down and ingest. I think that's one one of those things that oh what up Chloe? I think reading comics is generally seen and probably fairly so as a as a pretty simple and fun lightweight task and similarly to wrestling how we sit down and we enjoy it and we try and break it down on a more tactical level I mean that's what it was that's how it started for you and me was just like we're uh we're too too smart for our own good and too stupid to do anything. So let's watch uh, let's watch Stone Cold Steve Austin like break it down, like what's mm-hmm. happening, the motivations and all that. I just watched Edward Scissorhands last night. I did a double feature last night. I did What'd Beetlejuice and I watched Edward cool. Scissorhands. You're going through, yeah. The Tim Burton. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't up for Batman because um, that's to me. Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands are part of, I think, Tim Burton's, like, I don't know, most sincere expression. Yeah. Um, and, you know, making a movie about Ed Wood is, is part of that, too. Dude, I watched Ed Wood for the first time last week. That movie was amazing. Tremendous, right? It's so good. Just the, like, the blind belief in himself that... Yeah. Exists throughout that. I wonder how real that is. Like, is that who that man was? It's interesting to consider. Like, I don't know. You have to have that to some extent if you're making a thing, right? You can't. Uh, I, I don't know. I have this interesting relationship, I guess, with the idea that. If you're doing something, you have to believe in it. And there are certain people who believe in it in such a way that they are open with it and sharing it to such an extent that I find a little repulsive. Sure. But at the same time, like, I am also kind of envious of one's ability to continually promote what they're doing and i mean that's looking at things in a on a pretty small scale you know bands from around here that are like check out my shit yeah the one and then they're the ones that inevitably continue and grow and gain an audience and but like quote unquote make it i've been uh, there's the other end of the spectrum i have um I, I, I'm just gonna. We're just gonna talk about this. We're just gonna talk about Maddie Paz. 
my neighbor mm-hmm. from New Jersey. Right. Yes. This kid grew We've up been across the street about this from for me. A while. And I've, uh, I'm just going to go with it. I wasn't prepared. I'm just going to go with it. I grew up across the street from a kid named uh, Matt Pozluzny. He was a year younger than me. I moved away in, when I was 12 and very little contact aside from uh, social media like in college. And then I believe I unfriended him when Obama won the uh, first election because really? it was just like is he uncool in that he way was uncool in that way oh i didn't know this and i was like i don't need i don't need any uh I, that, that was my first wave of um unfriending people on facebook when they when you're like oh you're a racist republican yeah cool um and then i found him again uh, a few years later and he was at that point working as a uh, writer slash comedian slash actor and I think I found I found him either on Instagram or Twitter and it was an absurd uh, representation of self because he was posting a lot of pictures from like quote-unquote red carpet events or like VIP events but he's got like four pictures of him and Leonardo DiCaprio's old bodyguard wait what yeah how did that happen i don't know but he points out every time that's oh, leo's old bodyguard it's always Me and cool. my good friend it's always cool when you're hanging out with uh leonardo dicaprio's old bodyguard or like pictures of people from the sopranos that i didn't even recognize and you recognize pretty much everybody from the sopranos right i sat next to furio on, on a the plane. plane he's like hey look back there that's carlo and i'm like hey you're a rat and he's like hey watch it pal did you call him a rat yeah, that's great. That's really, <laughs> he was not happy. Um, <laughs> you know, Tony Sirico, Paulie had it written into his uh, contract that he that Paulie could never be a rat. Really? Yeah. That is a strange thing. Sirico's from that world. Oh, is that yeah. why? Yeah, he did some time sense. in like the seventies. Okay, I but think like, he like came out and like drifted into like oh I can. I can just be myself in in Goodfellas. Yeah. Um, But it was it was weird. My favorite was um, was hanging with a fan at a VIP event. And it was just him like and a person who was like kind of uncomfortable with his presence being there. That's so bizarre. And then. He parlayed that into a few other endeavors, uh, and most notably a motivational figure where he uh, he lost 50 pounds by uh, quitting booze and Xanax, and he stopped working out. He had a newspaper article that I read. He, uh, w- by the end of it, was like, I want to share my story elsewhere. And then he started taking all these pictures of himself like working out and would just hashtag like Ellen, Dr. Phil, Oprah, at all of those just people. Just t- tag too. everybody possible that could consider him like a uh, an underdog story. Yeah. Now he's an aspiring food blogger. Okay. Comedy food blogger. Oh, yeah, because he's a funny guy. Yeah. So he's got a YouTube channel that he's really uh, stoked on promoting and he posts long ass uh 
restaurant reviews on Instagram. It's it's a bad Instagram presence. He can't type a sentence that's grammatically correct. Hashtags like five six lines of hashtags. Yeah. Food network travel channel. Oh he hashtags all of them and he adds all of them. He just wants to get there. T- he's thirsty as hell. And I'm skipping over a lot in here, but this person has effectively since I've been paying attention um, to to him on social media has had seven different uh, attempts of getting his name recognized in some way. Rebranding Just becoming famous. It's that's so strange. And I think, I mean, that, that dude is an example of what I think one of the fears of it's one of the fears realized of, of trying to put your name out there. Right. When you're like making art or whatever, you're in a band, you're doing something that you're excited about. Like, the fear is that you're going to end up like that, dude. Yeah. Someone somewhere is like, oh, my God. Like This is so sad. Yeah. But you have to... There, There is just a level of psychosis that's that exists totally. in, in doing that. And it's very funny. It's also very sad because I think that... I think that that person has some issues and some uh, really difficult grapplings with the world and with himself. And you can, from, from my perspective, I see that and I see your, you've decided that one day you'll get famous and all of your problems will go away. And I don't think that, that would happen. Yeah, that's not how that works. I think that it would come crashing very hard. But the the amount of like delusion and inability to like exist on a ordinary plane of existence, it's fucked up. It's wild. Yeah, to just constantly be striving at any angle and without actually like practicing a craft on any of those angles like him being a a muscle guy or a weight loss guy was so it was like oh yeah that guy's in decent better shape than he was before but he mostly just looked like one of the guys that's like on the infomercial that lost the weight that's like oh yeah good that's good that you did that good that you did that you i don't know why we should trust you as someone that can talk about this with any authority it just seems like you did a good thing. And it's it's like going through as extensively as I've gone through <laughs> this person. Um, he lies a lot. He blatantly like lies about things. What does he do? Um, what does he say? Well, there was one instance where after I found his Reddit, he has, a, he has his own Reddit. Oh, like his, his Reddit his account. His Reddit yeah. account. Um, I like scrolled down into some of his comments. I mean, do we should do a follow up episode on on my my own uh, psychosis that's working here? Yeah, yeah. I think like that's the real story here. Yeah. Uh, um, but he's he has he had this post of um, it was like him next to a bunch of cases of beer. And he 
posted, um, my wife won a contest where she was, uh, the prize was her weight in beer. And he's not married. Why did he post that? I don't know. But then scrolling through the comments, people started asking about his wife. And then he started to answer. He started like go, just digging himself deeper and deeper. Yeah. And someone said like, it's a shame that she's not heavier. And he said, I wouldn't be married to her if she was heavier. And then oh. the comment thread turned on him. Good. Great. And Perfect. You know, like he had this other post that was like, um, you know, starting a starting a show, starting a food show, like need like people to do this and this and this and this and somebody the first comment was like does it pay and he's like no when it gets picked up like we'll sort it out and it's like that's shitty that's not how this works that's a really shitty thing to do what i like about ed wood is that he made all of this with his friends yeah yeah, and he found funding. He found real, and he he like used his wife, his neighbors. I think that's like a cute thing to just like. I don't know. I nobody else bought in the way that he bought in that he was bought in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he firmly he firmly believed in it, and I think. I don't think I would want to spend any time with that person, but no, it sounds it's a nice awful. portrayal. I felt, I don't know what your opinion on Edward Scissorhands is, but that movie cuts really emotionally deep with me. I haven't watched it in a long time, but like that was the one when I realized like who Tim Burton is as a filmmaker. I had it as a, I had it on tape when I was a kid, so I, I watched it a lot when I was young and it, it's, um, it was a, I guess a, a, an interesting movie to kind of grow up with because my sense of like identification with um, the character of Edward Scissorhands and the way he's portrayed is very, very deep and emotional. Yeah. And deeply sad character. And it's, I'm just normally not that like fantastical. And so watching it again last night, I was like, man, like everything about this is so moving to me. The score is fucking amazing. It's so good. But the shots of, like, the house that he's living in and, like, the way the the ceiling is missing and just all of it. Yeah. I Watching Ed Wood made me really recognize how good Tim Burton is at... Not, I think we all recognize that his aesthetics and his characters are all really interesting and fun and deeper than they uh, like portray themselves to be but watching Ed Wood made me realize like how good that guy is at tying together everything in a very cohesive manner yeah like the way that that the house looks in Edward Scissorhand is 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 purposeful not just because it looks weird and spooky and you know it it t- it ties together this commentary on suburbia and on this loneliness that's happening and this isolation that's happening. It's all like meant 
to work within itself. It's like a very good novel. Yeah. And it's, it it's, it's interesting the way he plays with like the dynamics of like very, very, you know, realistic settings and, um, and then throwing something that's completely fantastical out there and the like sense of paranoia that is already existing in the the suburbia is like just kind of teeth grinding but this whole thing is based on the idea that at the end of a of a cul-de-sac in a whatever town usa suburb there is this crazy gothic mansion where mm-hmm. a, a man invented a human <laughs> that <laughs> it's just there within this very mundane neighborhood and he and he yeah he started out as a machine and then was built outward into a person and then it runs this kind of like frankenstein narrative where the the creation uh becomes too much for reality to handle and and then it ties in as like a fantasy like the end of it is this is why it snows yeah that's true that just becomes like one of those mythological stories for like an ancient greek or norse tale like fable on why the world works the way it does and it's it's insane that none of those things feel like they're uh anything but like very like beautifully inserted into each other <laughs> nice <laughs> they no i i and that's true though right like they are all very cohesive and they all make sense with each other and yeah, I mean, like, on the surface, it's definitely just, like, a simple Frankenstein tale, right? But also, there's so much more meaning that's... It's it's using Frankenstein as one of, like, a classic narrative structure rather than, like, a retelling of that story, which I think is a, a really interesting way to use some of these older, I don't know, like, canonical stories. I mean, Shakespeare, it's done with Shakespeare all the time, right? Like people will retell Shakespeare stories in, for completely different effect, for using completely different um, characterizations and settings and what I mean, like we talk about 10 things I hate about you, which I think is like a very interesting usage of that classic framework. And I don't know if it happens often enough with other stories outside of things like Shakespeare or the Odyssey uh, or the Bible, maybe. Yeah. We, I, I think that, um, Edward Scissorhands is is a really good telling of a golem. Sure. Um, and you know maybe that's Young Frankenstein, or <laughs> yeah, it's definitely Young Frankenstein. Yeah. I don't know about the original Frankenstein. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I I'd be really interested to hear some sort of like uh, British literature historian talk about the connections between Frankenstein and the Golem tale. I think that probably super intertwined somewhere in the past 
We did. I I read a really good like children's book for a children's literature class about Gollum, and it was a really like fantastic. Um, it, all the pictures were like collage and like beautifully detailed like collage stories, and and it was the telling of like the original Gollum tale, cool. and and it was made for like six year olds, and everybody in my class was like, I think this is like a little too weird, and I was like. I don't know if I belong here. Yeah, like this is perfect. Well, let me ask you something. It, is there we're we're kind of living in an age where pro wrestling is sort of intertwining different aspects of culture as it exists outside um and it's also had these moments of completely illogical can only exist in this universe storytelling i keep going back to kurt angle being jason jordan's dad totally and we also have daniel bryan as a environmentalist heel is there is it too much to want more of that or are we in a good spot like if we're to if we're to critique wrestling as it's existing right now, would that be positive or negative to move into a like move with the idea that everything can exist on this spectrum that we can just as easily go into something that's based in reality versus something that is clearly not but it's a wrestling storyline. Yeah, I mean, the Jason Jordan, Kurt Angle storyline is very much the wrestling storyline, and the Daniel Bryan, the Daniel Bryan characterization is a very strange venture right now, right? Because, like, on a lot of levels, it's just pretty straightforward. Like, this is the way a human being is acting. It's not wrestling at all. And then on the other hand, you know, someone actually acting that way is the most wrestling thing in the whole world. Somebody using this good thing that they're doing and that they believe in as a bad guy trope is so wrestling. It's like perfect wrestling. That's what wrestling was built on. Yeah, but it. I think that, you know, it does have a link back but the specificity of it is very modern. Right. And not just modern in that it's an issue of today, but the the idea that it's not, um, you know, he's not from Canada yeah. and he hates America. He's from Portland. Uh-huh. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, he's I'm... from Portland and he hates uh, middle America. That's the thing. I think he still hates America. That's I think he still is kind of like a foreign heel here. He's still doing because I think there's maybe a without having thought this out too much, I think there is very much an allegory there for the WWE universe equals America, right? Like they're telling like the way WWE sells us to ourselves is that we are the most normal good Americans that could exist. Right? Absolutely. We celebrate 
all of the American holidays. Uh-huh. And we go, we love the troops and we love inclusion uh, when it suits us. Yeah. Just don't take it too far. Right. Don't take it too far, but everyone, everyone should be moving onward and upward. It's, but then come along people like these liberals that just want to mess it up. They're taking it too far. Right. Right. Like that's what Daniel Bryan is here. He's a threat to America or to American life as we know it. He's trying to convince us to do things that seem difficult for uh, middle America that would require some work that would require us to question our fucking belief systems and structures. And I don't know. I thinking through this, I think he very much is a foreign heel. I think he's, doing the same thing telling us that what we do is wrong like any russian heel can come in and say like capitalism you capitalist pigs your communism is the way to go and like that's essentially what daniel bryan is doing here yeah i wonder i wonder what the possibilities are of him actually taking shots at the corporation that is WWE publicly traded company that produces all sorts of environmental waste by doing what they do all year. I'd love for him to start talking about the tour bus exhaust because you have to think that there's nobody that's going to, nobody's going to take that to heart. It might seem like, a, a, a risk to have somebody saying that what you are participating in as an audience is bad, but we all know it's bad. And if we don't think that it's bad, we just don't give a shit. Yeah. And WWE functions under the assumption we all have to agree that it's a good thing to exist, that that WWE exists and tours and shows up and does live shows the way it does. We all have to agree that it's a good thing. Whether or not we actually agree with that is fine, but it's totally inconsequential. But we have to, to participate in this event, we have to agree that it's a good thing that WWE is positive. Yeah. It's, it's agree agreement at least enough to consume. Um, and so whether, I, yeah, whether, I, whether you do that with a guilty conscious or a blind eye to it. Right. And so I think that there's a it, it seems to me that it would be totally possible for Daniel Bryan to critique WWE as an entity, especially in like pretty surface level ways of like consuming gas. Yeah. Because, of course, they have to consume gas. Like there's no no one on the nothing's board is going to be nervous. Revelatory. Yeah, exactly. He's like, not he's not going out and saying that. uh uh, they shouldn't be doing shows in Saudi Arabia. Right, yeah. <laughs> I think that might change things. I'm really interested to see what happens with that, though, also moving forward. is that Are they going to... They have, like, a five-year contract or something, a ten-year contract with them. Something like that. It's, I'm interested to see if they keep doing it next year. It's, it's, it's a strange thing, for sure. I wonder what's going to... I mean, you heard about uh, Trump's golf club in new jersey was uh producing phony green cards for 
uh, for illegal immigrants. Is that true? Yeah. What? It, it just came out. But it's, uh, uh, that's awesome. It, I, it either the New Jersey Attorney General is like figuring out what to do with it. That's so awesome. Um, because it's either it's either gonna be like, all right, we're gonna prosecute, or Mueller's like. Just hold off. Like, like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's a good one. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, we can. We'll deal with it. It's like when uh, the police arrested Tony Soprano for something, and then like fucked up the FBI. Like, yeah, yeah. Was like, you want to have your fucking moment? Um, but you know, we're 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 looking into this guy in so many different ways. I I would love for something like, you know. Some minor uh, nefarious detail about his relationship with Vince to come out. Oh, that would be so great. It'd be so tight. I would love for all of that to get exposed in a pretty nasty way. It'd just be like a a nice day of of reading a well, few articles. There's a, somebody actually, I think maybe The Ringer or Deadspin, I don't know, one of the sports bloggy sites put out recently a fairly good essay about uh, bringing back up the $5 million donation that... Vince and Linda McMahon gave to the Donald Trump Foundation in like 2012 and I don't know how how many of these facts I'm going to get straight but he basically they donated by far more than anybody else in the world to that foundation that year uh-huh. and it was the year I think it was the year that it might might not have been 2012 it might have been like 2009 it was whenever they shaved his head Oh, okay. Uh, sure. And so it was donated to the Trump organization. $5 million was donated to the Trump organization as payment for Donald Trump appearing on a couple episodes and a pay-per-view. Whoa. Uh, which is something that lots of people have done for Donald Trump appearance-wise uh-huh. in the past. I don't know if that's like legal, if that's a loophole people use. Well, the foundation is... N- Right. No mas. Right. Um, well, yeah, because I mean that would be, that would make sense. You donate to the charitable organization, and that charity just goes into some other siphon somewhere. But also, that's an interesting thing to do because that really throws off Linda McMahon's position. Like, she, that looks like a, pa- a very straightforward paper trail of how she got her job. Right. Her current job. Well, and so that's that's not illegal, though. I mean, it's fucked up and it's immoral and unethical, right. but it's not like it's it's how it works. Right. Right. But so what's happened since then is that uh, the WWE, Vince McMahon and Linda McMahon have all said different things about where that money came from. Fuck. Yeah. It's so good. Like WWE said WWE did it. Vince said Vince and Linda did it. Linda said Vince did it. And it's all just like no one wants to admit that they were the ones that that actually donated this money to Donald Trump uh, because of all these intertwining allegiances. It's just it's like there's something there that could really uh, it's a fun read. And there's something that's like, yep, these guys are all shady friends. How much do you how much are you following the like Mueller stuff and, and Trump and all that. So I listened to like Pod Save America, uh, that podcast about that, like the guys that used to be in Clinton's on their, on, or on um, Obama's staff. 
yeah. they do a bi-weekly podcast that's like pretty in-depth it's pretty inside baseball and a lot of the times i get pretty burnt down on it but it's nice to follow along now and then are you far are you deep in it yeah yeah i and i i think it's um i don't know if it's good or bad but i'll look at like the reddit news um sure a couple times a day and that just like you know it's whatever news articles are are trending so yeah washington post shit like that um where are we at i've been i've been basically not paying attention for the past week um not too much has happened since last week but the thing about the golf club is new that's so good it's it's amazing um yeah the mueller mueller's been um doing a couple of like private interactions with the supreme court that they'll have like you know a supreme court session that you can't tell what it is but the entire floor of the building in washington is off axis like so there's definitely like there's just it seems like there's just like more and more shit piling up as things uh come in so it i don't know it's i've looked at it as a better way to spend the time that i would be looking at my phone looking at that yeah it seems more productive um i don't know if it's productive or if it's just like more suited to what i want in my daily I mean, I don't think being informed in that way is not helpful. It's not. It feels be better than looking at Facebook. Yeah, totally. I think it is. Um. Yeah, good. Uh, good week in wrestling, right? <laughs> yeah, we came in. We came in without uh, much plan. Both admitting to each other that we barely watched wrestling this week it it was it was pretty inconsequential it looked like everybody was having a good time um i guess the biggest wwe news of of the week is john cena and daniel bryan had a cage match in uh in new york and but he did just sign on for another movie so i don't think that we're gonna be seeing much of john cena's haircut um, yeah. So cherish it while we have it. Um, but we have a very, very exciting prospect coming to us the end of the week. I'm excited. I took Friday off of hey, work. Me too. Um, and I think I'll have a good amount of time on Thursday to take a nap. I'm going to just come down, plop myself on the bed at 3 Wake up when I wake up, and then I'm going to go to Ben's. You're going to go to Ben's? Mm-hmm. We're talking about going to get food beforehand. Oh! Like, like a late-night food move? Oh, I love a late-night food move. I haven't really done that in a long time. Go to somewhere that, like, uh, like a pizza joint or a... Maybe a diner? Maybe a diner. Yeah, Sit somewhere down? you can go and uh, go at, like, 10 p.m. to get some dinner. And then what time are we starting in, in Tokyo? Tokyo? one thirty a.m. Central Time. Am I right? Is that what it is? I think so. Is that so. the pre-show start? Something like or is that. that the main show start? Um, Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. It'll be late. It'll be late. But we- Wrestle Kingdom 13 is this this coming week. 13. 
very I've been excited. getting I've been getting excited by watching uh, some matches that I liked from 2018 and also listening to the something to wrestle uh, with Bruce Pritchard from WrestleMania 13 just as I go to bed you know getting that 13 mode oh, getting right. that like this is a, this is a big one lucky number 13 right because I mean you think about the Rosemont Horizon Center 1997 Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin in probably the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. Surely my favorite. Um, I always like listening to those because they always love to talk about how much they love that building. The Rosemont Everybody Horizon. talks up the Rosemont, which is gives an unearned sense of pride to myself every time they do it. Hearing Austin talk about how it's his favorite venue to wrestle in is just so lovely. So... Wrestle Kingdom 13 is coming from the Rosemont Horizon of Japan, the Tokyo Dome. The Dome. You like that? Yeah, that's coin that coin that myself. Um, <coughs> the main event: Kenny Omega versus Tanahashi for the belt. Kenny won it over the summer, and this is. It's a big-ass title defense. He's facing it is. the John Cena of New Japan. It feels more than most. I think we go in general to New Japan to see uh, like insider wrestling, to see wrestlers wrestling. Uh, but this match feels like a big fight. Like This has a big fight feel that I don't think I've had. Uh, for too many other Wrestle Kingdom or New Japan matches in general. feels like the first time that we're really in on uh, something where you have people who have, for as long as we've been following uh, closely enough, have existed on separate sides. There's nothing that predates, really, Tanahashi versus Kenny Omega. We've been watching Omega since, you know since it was like bullet club kenny omega and then he starts he starts with okada and like they've been linked ever since mm-hmm. tanahashi has felt like his star is uh is is moving down on the card but he wins the tournament and now he's got this match and it's exciting because it feels like he he makes it feel important in a way where it's not um it it is kind of like a like a a torch passing moment or th- there's sure. there's something big to it he's been a big star for so long Okada's still like relatively new on the scene so it's it's awesome to see that Tanahashi is back where he is um, and it's cool to see that Kenny's like going one on one with him. It feels like it's it's bigger than than anything we've seen. Yeah, and it seems like it's bigger than those two individuals. It seems like this is very much going to be. Uh, I don't know, like it's like Rock Hogan. Yeah, absolutely, and and but I think what's even more interesting than just Rock Hogan is that. All Elite Wrestling is looming. And we don't know how that's going to play with New Japan. And 
I think no matter whoever wins this match is basically telling the audience who New Japan believes in in the future. If they're believing in their current and previous model of Japanese wrestling, or if they're trying to buy in on the Western Front and they want to back the elite. Well, if they are backing Kenny Omega, like to that extent, it's not only is he, you know, symbolically going over the guy who's been the guy for the past seven, eight years. Um, they're also positioning Omega for what feels like it could be a very long and, and illustrious title run. Yeah, if they if he wins this. He's got the belt for a while, I would assume. And you would think that the the feuds that we've been waiting for come eventually. It's like starting here, it it's like, okay, this is this is gonna be a long story. It's not just go to the thing that everybody's hot about for mm-hmm. the moment. Even though the moment is a fucking ten year long odyssey. Yeah, totally. And I mean I it's been interesting to see Kenny Omega's star kind of wane in a lot of people's eyes i think a lot of people aren't as hot on kenny as they had been earlier this year i think that's a really interesting thing to watch happen i think kenny omega is going to be a heel in this match is what is what's going to yeah to be, be proven like 10 minutes into the match i think it'll have to be um it's yeah it's it's, it's an interesting spot that he's at where he's he's just so at the top that people aren't thinking about it. You know, mm-hmm. he's been there for so long. Um, Jericho versus Naito. Uh, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be so fucking fun. Um, just those are Jericho. What Jericho has done in new Japan is, I mean, it's, it's more than padding, uh, a legendary career it's you look at somebody who has found his way back into not only what's hot but changing what's hot yeah he's for someone to be a tastemaker at this age and for someone to be setting the pace and the tone of how modern wrestling exists it's just astounding how influential jericho's been and how i'm assuming helpful and eye-opening he's been for other wrestling aside from the mainstream it's like you know think about think about the artists in your life who have been able to do something like that think about the um you know the the filmmakers the the musicians that are able to continually find a way to make such a statement about the moment so far down the line um you know most people they got a they got a thing and then they they do it until nobody cares about it anymore and he's reinvented himself in so many ways it's like tom waits for real yeah definitely that's a really great uh a really great analogy because tom waits is like one of those guys that he He's done a really good job of not talking too much. For as long as he's been doing it, I don't think he's ever done something that he didn't like 
firmly believe in. He's never made a thing that was just to make it. Yeah, it everything he's made has been honest and uh and thoughtful, which I think is a cool thing about him. And I think that makes sense for for Jericho. I mean, like when we thought his career was over, I mean, I I couldn't believe when we started watching wrestling again, I couldn't believe that he was still even around. Yeah. And like showing up the way he was. And then you find out that like, oh, while you weren't watching, like he did his best work. Yeah, totally. And then he continued to do his best work over the course of the next half a decade. So we got Okada and Jay White, which it's interesting to me. I I think Jay White is uh, is great. They they are so behind him, and I always feel like it's like, yeah, that wasn't like a misuse, but I still feel like somebody else could have done it better. Yeah. Well, so my read on Jay White is that they are trying to make the bullet club bad guys and you can't do that if it's only just the best wrestlers that you love being in the stable yeah you can't have only your best favorite wrestlers in a faction and also that faction be heels that just doesn't work and so i think forcing or pigeonholing someone like jay white who's a really good wrestler and who has like the most promising future throwing him in there and like changing the way things work based around him is a great way to make people like us think that that's not a good idea. And it's a great way to make people like us kind of root against him. Want Okada to win here. Do they care what we think though? We're going to watch it either way. Right. 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 The, the, the faces versus heels thing for their storytelling doesn't affect us in any way right but i mean maybe that's even so the the fans in japan the maybe less smarky fans that are following the product out there the way that less smarky fans would follow wwe here it's still you mean like everybody there knows that kenny omega is fucking enjoyable and lovable and a great wrestler there's no way you could root against that man and so you need someone like jay white this punk ass kid that was like a young lion two years ago and now he's getting uh i mean i think they now might, he's a hungry old lion i think that like there's there's one of the tried and true and maybe not uh fully formalized and utilized n- techniques for wrestling to build a heel is to push someone that's not deserving right yeah that's a great way to build a heel and it's interesting the way that they've built him because he feels um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, is he the right guy here? Like, what about Marty Skrull? What about Hangman Page? Sure. But I couldn't picture either of them going over Okada and with Jay White, it feels like much more of a possibility. Yeah, definitely. Jay White is a very interesting and weird specimen. And I don't know, I'm down. I'm super interested to see how that match plays out. I think... It's been a lull for Okada this year, right? We can all agree after that, the greatest match in wrestling history also yeah, this year. for sure. <laughs> uh, but since then, his 
his year's been kind of quiet and that's probably good i don't think it has to be right yeah. i think as soon as he comes back we're all going to be very excited to see him back and in in whatever main events capacity he will be um so i think this is like a nice way for him to make a, a new young star whether who I don't think it matters who wins this match. No, it doesn't. Because, you know, you lose to Okada. Like, what do you you look bad? Totally. Totally. So it's interesting going off uh, the the Wikipedia because reverse order they've got Kushida versus Taji Shimori. Oh yeah. Next. After I wonder. That, like it's I don't know. It's interesting to me because I I I love Kushida. I've just always felt like his star is just continually declining in New Japan. Well, there's rumors he's coming to WWE. I know. Which is very exciting. Very exciting. Also very weird. I don't know what he does here. Yeah, I don't know if that works That works well. I wonder who's his, who his biggest fan is. In, it would probably be Triple H, right? I would imagine, who, yeah. It's, that his prospects in WWE on all fronts seem like... I don't know. He would just come out and have a three-minute match on Raw and, and do, like, the move, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. He's, at, he's Evan Bourne. Yeah, totally. Or he'd be on 205 Live, which I think would he'd be great on it, but mm-hmm. I don't 
we've all agreed that no one has enough time to watch that show. I know. That's the cutoff point. Even when even when it's matches that are recommended 205 live matches, I'm still just watching it just feeling so full. Mhm. Yeah. It can be the first thing I put on and I just I'm always kind of glossed over looking at it. Um Cody versus Juice Robinson. Now, do you know what the feud is here? How does how does this start? I'm not super positive on how this is functioning right now. I mean, Cody took that belt from him, right? Yeah. I'm assuming that's what we've got here. I I did hear that Juice cut like a killer promo, um, but I didn't see it at all. <laughs> so I have no idea. Great analysis through and through. Um... Ishii versus Zack Sabre Jr. That's the match I'm most excited for. I think so, too. I can't wait. They're going to hit each other so hard. So fun. Those two dudes. And, yeah, they're going to hit each other hard. And I think they just, like, these two make so much sense against each other. They don't necessarily fit. They seem like they shouldn't work well against each other, but they do. And I don't know, watching Zack Sabre Jr. And I think it's also nice to see. I love watching Zack fight big guys. Me too. I think guys that should be able to beat the shit out of Zack and then he can tie him up is one of the funnest things about him as a character. He's such an anomaly in wrestling. And watching him do these things, I think, is like one of the most. It breaks wrestling a little bit. I just can't wait till we get to the point where w- one of them is just r- relentlessly hitting the other over mm-hmm. and over and over again. It's going to happen like eight times where we just get uncomfortable watching it. It should be it should be good too because Ishii, for as much of a rhinoceros as he is, is so agile and so athletic. He is. He is. He's really great at taking big bumps. He is totally fast and He's able to like work the mat pretty well. I mean, you saw their G one match, and it was so Fuck. good, so good. That was like definitely a top three for me in the, in the tournament. I'm so excited to watch this match. I hope they just get a bunch of time to tie each other up and beat the hell out of each other. It'll be a fun, fun evening for us. There's some other matches um, that'll all be really good. It's it's wild. You look at like a a nine ten match card, and you you're just so stoked on literally everything that's happening yeah um and yeah i've been uh i've been kind of monitoring my my amphetamines so i'll have some <laughs> of stay those awake. to to pass out and we can all we can all feel our feet really really <laughs> well um but i'm looking forward to it. i'm looking forward to hanging out i feel like i haven't been hanging out too much i think that should be a new year's resolution to hang hang out a little bit more my New Year's resolution this year, I've decided it's quantity over quality. Oh, nice. And I'll try to live my life this year mm-hmm. based on that mantra. Hey, it's not about how many breaths you take. It's about how many times your breath is taken away. Oh, that's good. That's I like the quantity of that. Hey, I like you, and uh, and we've known each other for a long time. I think that this point uh, i can comfortably say that you like me as well and that's, that's a true. nice feeling to have it's nice to know that your friends enjoy you and uh 
and it's it's nice to have a reason to hang out every week because like i like i just mentioned it's hard it's hard sometimes um just busy looking in into mueller probe and uh watching spurt, edward scissorhands and edward scissorhands and and following closely a person that i haven't <laughs> seen since 2002 but this is this is something that i look forward to and we uh we do in hope that you're enjoying the conversation too we hope that you have a very uh enjoyable new year and wrestle kingdom however you choose to consume it have fun with it uh tell a friend about this show subscribe to it on apple podcasts and stitcher leave a review and most importantly have a safe and happy new year. We'll talk to you again in the future. The year 2019. Unbelievable. We will be there and we'll see you then. Thanks.